Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and we got a dynamite interview for you today. Very excited to have our guest on. Um, I've known this particular guest for, I think, about six or seven years now. Um, and, And he is the preeminent expert at creating engagement among your team and your employees and really communicating throughout your organization in a powerful way. And so I'm really excited today to finally have Skip Weissman on the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Skip, welcome. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here finally. Absolutely. Well, let me give everybody a little bit of background and then I want you to fill in the blanks from there. So you're you're an international keynote speaker, you're a seminar presenter, you're a business coach, and, and you really specialize in transforming mediocre and stagnant small business work environments into what you would describe as very high performing company cultures that are more positive, they're more productive, and, and they're more profitable. Um, you call that championship company culture, um, which I, I love that. That's such an aspirational hmm. uh, way to, to view culture. And I think culture gets maligned in a lot of ways. But, but you take that and then um, <clears throat> you apply those strategies that, that I think you really developed through a 20-year career in baseball uh, into your small business clients. And, uh, and I think that's really unique in what you do. And so, uh, folks, for those of you who haven't heard of Skip before, Back during his baseball days, he served as CEO for five different baseball franchises. Um, He left baseball in 2001, and since then, he's been helping small business owners create championship companies all over and uh, and doing a phenomenal job of it. And so, um, Skip, what what did we leave out? What in, in your backstory, what else is important for folks to know before we dive into to content here? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. I, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, I when when I told family and friends that I was going to be leaving baseball after 20, 20 seasons in the game, they really couldn't believe it because that was the only thing I cared about from the time I was seven years old, and I was Mister Baseball, and I was that was my identity, and nobody could believe that I was leaving the game, um, and. Uh, it was sort of a shock to me, but you know, you talk about unstoppable CEOs. Uh, I was an unstoppable CEO until I wasn't. <laughs> and after about 17 years in baseball, I got burnt out in the industry because it's it's a pretty all-encompassing lifestyle. You know, you spend most of your days for six months at the stadium, at the ballpark, and I was tired, and I got burnt out of having my life dictated by the baseball calendar and. So it really stopped me in my tracks. At about midway through my 17th year, I realized I, I can't do this anymore. And uh, so I stopped that and uh, began to chart a new path, but I did it in a very strategic way. I took two and a half years to figure out what the next phase of my professional life was going to be and made the move uh, after my 20th season. And so it was a very interesting journey for me personally and professionally, emotionally. Um, and so that's really, I think, an interesting part of the story that uh, I like to tell because I think, you know, many people get to a point in their life and their career where they feel stuck and uh, feel like, like, I don't know what else to do. I can't do anything else. This is all I've ever known for 20 years. And so I'm, 
I sort of like to tell the message that no, there, there can be a second chapter or a third chapter. Um, you just have to find that next thing that you're passionate about and go for it. Absolutely. I, I, I think that that's, I think you just summed it up right there. That that's, that is being unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Even when you hit the wall, it's, you know, and you feel that burnout, it's that, well, the only way out is through <laughs> and, you know, and, and by continuing to move forward, that's how you stay unstoppable. I mean, it, when you boil it down, it's just keep, keep moving. Now, there were probably some things as you approached that challenge and as you've approached challenges since then, because you've, you've now built a successful consulting practice and coaching practice and, and you've worked with a lot of other businesses and, and helped them become unstoppable. As you've done all of that since baseball, what, what have you found are some of the keys to just continuing to press forward? Because you know, a lot of people don't do that. They're presented with the challenge and they make a decision to stop. So what, what have you found that keeps you persistent? You know, I think it's a couple of things. One is having a, a great support system in your, in your family, having, a, you know, whatever that family is to you that, that, uh, believes in you and backs you up and, and gives you the freedom to be who you want to be. Um, I think it's really important to nurture, nurture that and, and sort of create that for the other people around you as well. Make it a symbiotic relationship and make sure you always have that to come back to and keep you grounded. Um, and then that, that support group of other professionals who are doing the same thing, just like the mastermind group where we met, you know, to be able to have those uh, professional colleagues and friends who are on a similar path, a similar journey, and who have been there uh, or are going there, you know, uh, with you on, on, in the same timetable, just to have those people to bounce ideas off of and to get um, and to have check-ins. I think the thing that's really, I think, helped me, especially recently, I've said in the last four or five years, is to have to have the have the events that you can go to. I mean, I'm going to an event. You know, very, very soon it's going to be just surrounded and immersed with people of the same mindset, focusing on the same stuff and reinforcing, getting re-energized. Every couple of months, I would say at least twice a year, you should probably go to some professional development uh, program. You know, it might be your industry conference. It's always really good to reconnect with friends that are in your industry, um, learn some new things, see what's going on in the industry, but get in that environment that can re-energize you and get you refocused. Uh, and I've found I kind of need that about every six months. And if I do that, that keeps me, keeps my head in the game. Uh, and there's plenty of those opportunities. You just find the, the, the ones that uh, you find are the best fit and have the best, uh, the best environments for you. So it, it really sounds like it, it, it all comes down for you to being in relationships you know, you talked about family, you talked yeah. about other entrepreneurs, being around other people. It sounds like a lot of, of what keeps you persistent and unstoppable is having access, being plugged into those relationships. Yeah, yeah, I think relationships are, are, are so important. I, one of the concepts I wrote about last year in my, my newest report and white paper, if you want to call it that, um, 
is, is a concept called the business owner's isolation chamber. <laughs> and what I've found in working with small business owners over the last 18 years since I left baseball, it's hard to believe I was in baseball for 20 years. Now I've been out for 18. It's getting to that point where you know, was, uh, I'm out as long as, as long as I was in almost. What I've noticed is a lot of business owners feel like they're isolated, that they're the only person feeling the stresses of their company. Uh, and they're the ones, all the weight is on their shoulders for making these decisions. Even if they have a leadership team in place, even if they're part of a family structure that maybe, you know, it's a family business where they're, they're collaborating to make decisions. I think the person who, who's the managing partner, or the head honcho, the CEO, pre president, whatever the title they have, that role can be very isolating. It's lonely at the top type of thing, right? And I think sometimes the business owners create that for themselves and they get stuck in this thing I call the isolation chamber that actually was coined by one of my, my clients a few years ago for me. Um, and so I think we've got to open up a little bit and let some other people into that sphere um, and show a little bit of vulnerability and be a little more humble that you don't have to have all the answers. Um, that as frightening as it can be to be vulnerable in those situations. Once you do, it's very freeing. Um, and one of my clients just recently I've been working with uh, was the president of a $3.5 million manufacturing company. One of the things he said that, that was so uh, enlightening and, and, and powerful for him and our work together is he says, you know, I, I, I don't have, I finally feel like I have a team of people I can trust to help me make business decisions. Before I just felt like I was just you know, forced to do it on my own and I couldn't explain it and nobody would care and they didn't want to listen and stuff. And it, it was just very freeing for him to finally see you have five people around the table he could tap into and help him run the company and didn't have to do it all himself. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I think, I think it's incredibly powerful. I can think back to all of the, the big jumps that I've had in business where I jumped from one level to another and they almost all centered around a time when I was investing in getting myself in those sorts of relationships, whether it was a mastermind group or going to a particular type of conference and getting around the right type of people or getting a particular coach that was going to help, you know, get me out of isolation and, and get me thinking bigger. And, and um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the sort of hidden secrets of all of this, you know, is uh, having those relationships that will stretch you a little bit actually makes being an entrepreneur easier. Yeah, the, and I think the challenge for all of us at, at one point or another is just being open to that possibility because we do have to open ourselves up and we do have to be somewhat vulnerable or, or humble. And I think for many business owners and, and maybe men more than women, it's just sometimes it's a tough journey to get there. And uh, I think we need to keep sending the message that it's okay <laughs> and it is a safe place and you'll come out much better on the other side when you do. Absolutely. Well, hey, I think we should take a, a quick break here. And when we come back, let's talk about employee engagement and, and you're going to share with us what, what I think a lot of people will say is, a, is kind of a controversial approach to that. But I know it's a powerful approach and I, I'm, I'm really excited to hear your take on it. And so folks, we'll be right back with more from Skip Weissman. 
Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon. And today I'm talking with Skip Weissman. And Skip, you are a master of creating employee engagement. You did it all throughout your baseball career. You have done it for the last 18 years with the small businesses that you consult with. And as you were talking with me uh, a, a month or so ago and kind of telling me your approach to creating engagement. And you, you made the statement, I think, that that you've never found a better way to get employees b- bought into the, the success of the company than what you're about to share with us. So I'm not going to give that away. I'm going <laughs> to let you explain it. But kind of start, you know, start from the top and kind of walk us through y- your thinking on creating engagement. Yeah, that's thanks for thanks for the, the, the question. And you know, it, I gotta sort of take a step back as how I sort of came upon this in my own way, and then I found an organization that's doing it at, at, at the highest level. Uh, when I was in baseball, and so people understand, I I never played the game. I was a high school baseball dropout. I hit two twenty in high school. I, I couldn't play the game. I got into baseball because I couldn't play it and I wanted to stay close to the game. I got into management, so I was CEO for five baseball teams, but I had nothing to do with the player personnel. Being an affiliated team with a major league club, they provide all the players. And so my job was business manager. Uh, my job was to put butts in seats, keep the beer cold and the bathrooms clean, <laughs> and, and, and keep fans coming back. And there's a lot to do to make that happen. We're, we're just like any other small business. And so we needed to have everybody on board to do everything uh, that we need to do to get things done. And we did really well the second half of my career when we moved to a new city and new, new ball, new community that never had baseball before. We built a brand new stadium. The community built it for us and we just struck a nerve and we were doing really well. We were, our pre-tax profit margin was probably around 25 to 30% of revenues. And so we had some really good uh, money left over at the end. And the owner of the team, my boss was very, very generous and we gave out some really nice year-end bonuses at the end of the season. And I would give these people some checks. I and mean, we're talking a bonus check that's maybe 30% of their annual salary <laughs> at that year-end. Um, but I could never explain to them where this number came from. Why this year they got 7500 and next year they got 7000 or 6500 or or whatever. Uh, and it's somewhat, it seemed to them kind of arbitrary. <laughs> and it was very disconcerting for me to just give them something with no explanation as to where it came from. Well, we had a good year this year. Oh, we didn't have quite a good year last year. But that number just seemed arbitrary to everybody. And I wanted to be much more transparent with where that number came from. And since I didn't have full authority to do that, my boss would not let me do it. And so I could, I could only do it uh, at a very general level. Uh, but when I left baseball, I said, I want to create a system and encourage business owners to be more transparent about how the company makes money, 
where the revenue goes, and what's really left at the at the end of the day. And when you do that, I believe people will be, be even more engaged. And employee engagement, Steve, as you know, these days is, is just a big buzzword. It's all over the place. There's surveys on employee engagement uh, every day with some type of report. Gallup does a big one, the State of the United States, America's Workforce Report they, they put out every year or two. And employee engagement is a big buzzword. But for 18 years, I've been looking for some way to create higher levels of engagement. And what I've found most of it is really just surface level stuff. Um, it's, oh, I necessarily call it gimmicky, but it's, but it's just ways to sort of manipulate people to be more involved in the work environment. But they really don't know the underpinnings of how the business works. <laughs> um, they don't understand the finances. They don't understand financial literacy of how businesses can make money. What's, you know, why gross profit is so important and margins are so important and percentages uh, are important and things like that. Um, and so what I believe is this concept is the ultimate in employee engagement is basically open book management. And it's opening the books to employees and teaching them how the company makes money and showing them the reality of margins and profit margins and what's left at the end of the day and, and taking that to the next step by teaching them financial literacy and showing them specifically how the person on the front line can drive some of those numbers. And when they do, and we achieve the goals that we set out, you will receive a stake in the outcome that you understand, <laughs> you know where it came from, and it's very transparent. Um, and I've seen transformations in employees when this is implemented. Um, and so it's a really, really powerful approach. It takes, again, a little, uh, a little getting used to and, and a shift in mindset and a belief. And it's not for everybody. But if the business owner truly wants to get engaged employees, get out of that business owner's isolation chamber. And imagine if you had 50 people or 25 people, whatever's in your company, all focused in the same way to help you grow your company and everybody participates. Um, it's, it's a really powerful process. And I don't know how much more detail you want me to go into. I'm happy to talk a little bit more if, if you think it would have value for people. Yeah, let's let's get into a little bit more detail, but I, I want to kind of bring people back around to why mm -hmm. we would want to do this. If we look at this from a purely numbers uh, perspective for a minute, profit and loss. Yep. Uh, you referred to the Gallup study, and and uh, one of I'm familiar with it. One of the things that they found is that the leading predictor of growth and profitability across all businesses in all the industries that they study, this was not industry specific, the leading predictor of growth and profitability is engagement, is culture. Right. This is, culture seems like it is a very touchy, feely, soft kind of thing, except that it accrues to the bottom line. And that is why I'm I'm glad that you're here today sharing all this with us, Skip. And that's why I think it's important for everybody who is listening to understand the importance of this, that it's not just something that makes you feel good or that, you know, wins you the best employer in the city kind of award. 
this puts money in your bank account if you do it well. Absolutely. And so I want to make sure we put a really big, giant exclamation point on that. Because for a lot of people, if they don't know that connection, they're going to go, yeah, 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 okay. But I got to go sell something. But right. this is how you make money. So with that as kind of a background to it, um, I can... I, I will tell you there are business owners that just heard what you said about being more transparent and sharing things and um, and financial stuff and they are they're they're shaken right mm-hmm. now. They're like scared to death of that. And I I'll be honest, you know, there's parts of me that are hesitant. So but I, I, I trust you and and you're here oh. and so so preach to us. <laughs> well, I mean, the best way I can preach you, I guess, is give you a real life example of a client. So, small business, eight employees, maybe nine, I think, with the business owner. They're they were originally doing around eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars before the meltdown in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. When they came to me in two thousand twelve, they had dropped their revenue down to six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, six sixty, something like that. They were bleeding cash. Their receivables were out of control, and the owner was stressed. And I said to him, uh, and he was ready to fire a couple of employees who were being insubordinate and unaccountable and everything. And he said, "Can you help me?" I said, "Well, I don't know, but let's talk." And I went in. I did a whole cultural assessment. I talked to all the employees, and what I found was that the business owner was a very nice guy and meant well, was not communicating effectively. He was sending mixed messages and he was difficult. He was cheap. They thought he was cheap, right? He was too frugal. He would never spend a dime. He was preaching safety as one of their core tenants, but he was nickel and diming people to get their uh, their trucks repaired. And he had guys out on the road, service technicians. So imagine you're preaching safety, but you're not allowing the, the technicians to service their trucks, right? <laughs> and, and so the trucks are not as safe as they could be. So it's really incongruency there. Um, and so we need to be a little more transparent. And he was afraid because the business was in trouble. And he's saying, well, what if my employees see how we're in desperate places? They're going to look for other jobs and they're going to leave me. Then I'm out of business. I said, trust me, these people have been with you for 10, 12, 14 years they have a lot invested in this company as well. I guarantee they will step up when they to help you build the business back once they know the reality. We opened the books. We showed them that 50% of the revenue was going to salaries and benefits. And the other 50% was tied up in receivables that was 60, 90, 120 days past due. <laughs> so once they saw that, they said, oh, no, God, no wonder why Gary is so stressed and why he's so tight with money. Um, and we ended up turning around the company by getting employees engaged in line item issues. Um, so we gave the head technician who was insubordinate and uh, argumentative, we gave him the budget for the truck maintenance. We need some certainty in the truck maintenance. Right now, it's willy-nilly. We don't know what it's going to be, and Gary's crazy. Let's create a budget. Sean, go to with the bookkeeper, review the last five years of, of maintenance uh, expenditures, review your trucks this year as to what maintenance has been performed, and project the budget for next year. 
30 days later, Sean comes back to Gary and me and he says, you know, we, were, we amortize our trucks every five years and we replace them every five years. Here's our budget for next year. If we, I believe if we invest 200, maybe $200 more in truck maintenance each year, we can get seven years out of the trucks instead of five. Now think about that. A, an employee who nobody thought cared about the business comes back 30 days later thinking, feeling, acting like the owner, making suggestions. So we implemented things like that and gave people more responsibility for line items on the financial statement, and they stepped up. Over four years, this company didn't just get back to where it was. It surpassed a million dollars in revenue last year for the first time after four years. They grew 50% in four years because he had a team of eight people engaged in, the, in building the company. And the best part of the story is Gary, the owner of the company, the last three years, has spent most of his time training for marathons and triathlons while his people run the company for him, and he checks in two, three days a week. <laughs> That's what can happen when you open the books and you trust people with the numbers. So what are the objections that come up to this when you're talking with business owners? I mean, you uh, sure, shared one, but what, what are the other objections that come up? You know, the, the, the big thing is, one, my people don't care. Two, they won't understand. It's too complicated. And most business owners say that because they're not exactly up to speed on how the business finances work because <laughs> nobody's really taught them either. They just, you know, they get with their accountant, the accountant throws some numbers at them. Um, and, and so they're uncomfortable with it. Um, and then they think, well, if the, if the employees see the real thing, they're going to know how much money I'm, I'm making. Yeah, well, they may, but you know what? It's, they're already thinking you're, taking, you're making a boatload of money, and you're probably not. They're probably fantasizing <laughs> that it's a lot more than it really is. Being transparent will build trust with your people. So those are the things that people get involved with. Now, there's different levels of transparency. And we don't want to get too open too soon because it will overwhelm people. And so we'll start with the basics. We may just keep all the general administrative expenses um, in, one, in one line item for G&A expenses. And the reason why we would do that is because some of those are fixed expenses and we can't do anything about it, right? The rent is the rent, right? The utilities are the utilities. Um, and so if an employee can't, help drive the number, there's no sense in really worrying about it. Uh, we may show it to them just, just for explanation, but we try and keep it simple. So salaries are all going to be on one salary line. Well, right? Can it's I stop you right there? You said yep. something really important that I'd like for you to, to just repeat for everyone. Yeah. You, said, uh, you said that if the employee can't drive the number, that there's no point in worrying about it. The, the goal here is to get the employees to take ownership of the dollars and cents flowing through the business and have them drive the result around those dollars and cents. Is that not correct? Exactly. Right. Okay. So uh, that's a key dot. I want to make sure we connect right. in everybody's mind that the, this isn't just a share and be inclusive and transparent and all those crazy words that are thrown around these days. Exactly. Let's get them to own it and create a bigger result because they own it. Exactly. And, and so we'll create, an overarching goal for the company that's based on what's called a critical number. And that's the number we need to achieve because that's going to make the biggest difference for everybody. 
Um, and that's the overarching number. And then what we'll do is we'll take that down and we'll break that down into a department. And each department will have their critical number that will feed into the critical, the main critical number. And now you've got each department working on their particular area that drives those, those line items. And then it comes down to the employee. And now we look at, okay, what do I have to do to drive the number in my department that will drive the bigger number? And everybody sees a direct line of sight between their daily actions and achieving success um, for, for the annual goal. And that is all then moves into the program that's called the stake in the outcome. And we create um, a bonus program that is based on achieving those results. And usually in the first few years, to keep it simple, the, we will do profit before tax. There's also a threshold that we have to meet because we, the, one of the main goals of this that, that the employees really like is that this gives the business owner and the employees structure to maintain the success and sustainability of the company. So the main thing we want to protect is job security and the, and the viability of the company long-term. So we're going to take that profit before tax and we're going to put a rainy day fund together for, for the downturn in the economy that's going to come at some point. We're going to put money away for capital expenditures. We're going to put money away for, for, for things that we need before we pay the bonus out. See, most companies' bonuses are not structured in a way that gives people a lot of comfort. And they're sort of put together arbitrarily and we just pick a number out of the hat that we think we can share. So that stuff's going to be taken care of. And then the bonus pool comes out of that. And then there's a committee, what we call the design team, that, that decides among themselves, which is company leadership and different department heads, and some people from the front lines will be part of the design team, that will make the decision as to how much of the final bonus pool will be shared and in what way. And so it's very transparent, but the everyday people are making the decisions uh, in conjunction with their colleagues and their coworkers. And it's, it's, people will see a direct line of sight between what they do how they drive the numbers, and what, quote, their stake in the outcome is. And it's a really empowering program. I can imagine. I mean, it, it, it takes an employee from, you know, simply showing up and clocking in their time right. to uh, it, when it is implemented well and, and, um, and rolled out properly, I would imagine it then takes them to a place where they're now, you know, they're now operating in more of the results economy. In yes. other words, they're getting, they understand how their compensation and their success is just, is determined by the, the, the results that they produce collectively as a company. And, and I guess done well, it's got to roll all the way down to, you know, the particular technician, let's say, yep. and what they do today and Absolutely. how that rolls into the monthly and quarterly and annual yep. production. Uh, absolutely. Um, I had one business owner share with me a story where uh, she said, you know, when, I, when we first started this program and I got into this, I would walk around the shop and I would see these little products that we use to serve our customers with, they're $3, $4, $6 cost to us. I'd see them laying all around the shop. I might see some in the trash can or they'd be laying around in the back of their trucks. And my service manager came to me about six months after we started this program and said, you know, I don't see those things laying around anymore. 
<laughs> people are taking care of them and they're putting them away now. Um, it's little things like that. Sean, in that story I told you with Gary, Sean, at the holiday party, Sean came to me. I said, so, so what did you learn in the last year we worked together? He said, you know, I was always resentful of Gary not giving me more money and giving me a greater role in the company. And what I realized in doing this process was that if I want a bigger role in this company, I have to help create it for myself and to help Gary create the opportunity for me because I can't expect him to just give it to me. <laughs> um, How powerful is that? Yeah, it was one of the greatest holiday gifts I ever received to hear him say that that's what he got out of our work together. I mean, that, that's what we all want from our team members. We all hope that they will come with that kind of care. And, you know, it, it's easy as a business owner. You take all the stress. You're, you're living in, in uh, what did you call it? The entrepreneur's isolation, isolation chamber. chamber. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you're living in there and that can kind of warp your mind a little bit. But by and large, I found that, you know, all the team members that I've had work with me over the years, if they got to the point where they got hired, they were probably pretty good humans anyway. Yes. And, um, you know, and so we never had anybody that was what I would consider, I don't know, spiteful or working yeah. against us or anything. They were all good people, but yep. maybe enable them to achieve all that they could achieve. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, I, I say if that's happening, it's not really their fault. They haven't been shown the way they haven't been asked to step up in a particular way. And it's not their fault. And we just have to give them the opportunity. I think when you do that, people will surprise you. Um, it's not always for everybody. Some people don't like the accountability. And that's one thing, you know, people are always asking me, you know, I need more accountability. People are just not accountable anymore. The younger generation, they don't care. And I think that's just, just bull. We have to give them systems and a process and a reason to care and be accountable. And it's not just because you just keep nagging at them and, and harping on them. <laughs> and, and if you give them the right tools, and this is a tool to use and the right system, people will surprise you and step up in ways you never imagined. Well, when, when you create, when you thoughtfully create the measurements that, you know, we talked before about, you know, whatever Bob does today contributes to the annual goal and the profitability and, and the, and the reward that associates with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if what Bob has to do today is a measurable thing, and that's tracked in a transparent way, right? The accountability now becomes pretty easy. And I think it, you, you tell me if I'm wrong. This is the, the thought that popped in my head is that, that the accountability then moves out of the hands of the business owner, or the CEO, and it, it moves to Bob's team members who are now going to go, hey, look, buddy. Exactly. You, up. you know, or he'll see himself if he's a good human that wants to do well and strives to do well, he'll see, I fell a little bit short. I need to get some help. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, that's not for everybody because some people want to hide. Some people want to just kind of, you know, do work and, and be below the radar screen. And so some of those people are going to be uncomfortable in this environment and they will self-select out. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you don't want that on your team anyway. Right. And, and so be okay with that. And it, but it's going to probably be their choice before it's your choice. Um, and that's okay. 
Wow, this is powerful stuff, uh, Skip. Thank you for uh, for sharing this with us. I know that there are a lot of layers to this, yes. uh, and uh, and and these are probably not waters that you want to tread into without a guide to uh, kind of get you around the, the the rapids and the rocks and and all of that. And so I, I know you you've got um, some resources for folks where they can begin to kind of wrap their head around this and go a little bit deeper. Um, and of course, I want to make sure they know where to get in touch with you if they're looking for that guide. So where can they kind of find some additional resources to, to expand their thinking on this? Yeah, well, my website is yourchampionshipcompany.com. And there's a webpage. Uh, this, this concept is called The Great Game of Business. Um, and it was started by a gentleman by the name of Jack Stack in Springfield, Missouri, in a manufacturing firm back in the 1980s. This has been going on for 35 years. And so it's a great game of business. So if you go to yourchampionshipcompany.com forward slash great game, you can actually download a free version of the original book that started this. And, and, and it explains the story behind it and how Jack Stack, the author, came up with the concept. It's an amazing story because he had to buy his division. Uh, he was a general manager of a division of International Harvester, and they were going to sell the company and, and, and liquidate it, basically. And he was 28 years old, and he said, no, I got 115 people in this, uh, in this manufacturing floor that livelihoods are on the line, including my own. I want to buy the company. And he went to International Harvester and negotiated with International Harvester on the open market. He could only raise $100,000, and the, and the uh, sale price was $9 million. They took an $8.9 million note. They found the, the 50th bank that they applied to somehow gave them a, uh, a loan and with only $100,000 of equity. And uh, so it's an amazing story. And this whole concept was created from that because Jack needed help <laughs> making the bank note every month, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I, I bet. And, and, and so the whole concept was created from that. It's a great story. It really talks about the fundamentals of what, what we do and how it works. Um, and that's a great, that's the, be, the best place to start to, to see how this works. And so the, the audio book is free at my website uh, at yourchampionshipcompany.com forward slash great game. And there's a bunch of other resources there on my website that they can uh, tap into there. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. And of course, if they want to get a, in touch with you about maybe looking to to implement this in, in their own company, they can contact you there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a contact booking form right at, right on the webpage. Uh, my phone numbers are right at the top of the webpage. So, yep. Perfect. Well, Skip, thank you so much for investing a little bit of time with me today, uh, for sharing all of your wisdom with our audience. Uh, these are really powerful ideas and, uh, and I'm just grateful that, that you've uh, invested some time today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's been great speaking with you, and I look forward to uh, continuing our relationship. This is great. Thanks so much. This episode of the Unstoppable CEO Podcast is sponsored by the Unstoppable Agency. That is the agency part of our business where we work with professional service firms and create a done-for-you marketing program. And what that looks like is we actually sit down with you. We 
come together and define your ideal client with you. We go build a list of those people, and then we begin reaching out to them on your behalf to book them as guests on your podcast. We call it podcast prospecting, and it's a fantastic way to connect with potential clients and influencers that can refer you. And it's end-to-end a done-for-you system. And so if that's something that you think might be the right fit for your business, go to our website, go to unstoppableceo.net. You can uh, find there on the homepage a link to a video presentation that explains how it all works. And if you'd like, let's get together and have a quick 20-minute conversation and see if we're a fit. Again, that's at unstoppableceo.net. Right on the homepage, look for a link to the video that explains how it all works.